Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Going left side, watch Calvin, Enzo, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade, no one will catch him, touchdown Lions! Podcast coming down in 3, 2, 1... Hello and welcome to episode 73 of The Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein, and this episode, as always, sponsored by Bet Online. Go check them out. Sports are coming back. It's Sunday afternoon. I'm actually watching some of the RBC Heritage right now on my television in the background. And you can wager on all of that. Over at betonline.ag, use the promo code BLUEWIRE if you haven't already signed up for a free welcome bonus. So yeah, it's the off-season here in Detroit. It's been pretty hot the last few days if you are a dad. Happy Father's Day, a day late to you. Thank you, as always, for supporting this podcast. And one other thing I want to mention here, as it is the month of June... I would ask that you maybe consider donating to Snowy Strong. You should look at the hashtag Snowy Strong. That's hashtag S-N-O-Y-S-T-R-O-N-G. It's for ALS research. And I've talked a little bit about it, I guess, on the podcast before, but not a ton. But a very old friend of mine is a guy named Chris Snow. He's the assistant general manager for the Calgary Flames. He might end up on the podcast here before too long in what would probably be a special episode. But about a year ago, Chris was diagnosed with ALS. Like I said, he's a college friend of mine. He's 38 years old and I think he's 38. And it's just, it's, it's terrible. There's no other way to describe it. But Chris and his family have been so strong and so inspiring throughout all of this and what they started this past month was the trick shot challenge using the hashtag snowy strong for uh on twitter and on instagram and it's gotten some traction theo epstein did a snowy strong post so did another friend of ours from college jeff passan and that actually made sports center if you caught the 11 p.m earlier this week with scott van pelt you can even see if you follow the hashtag chris snow making a i think it was 43 yard field goal up in calgary canada i'm going to be doing a trick shot as well well i'll Openly admit my first attempt at doing one on the golf course on Saturday failed miserably and my playing partners who I'm friends with were getting a little bit impatient after the 7th or 8th attempted try. So we're going to give it another shot later this week and then if that fails I might just post the fail and show that hey even if you fail you should still donate to Snowy Strong and by the way the website on that is snowystrong.ca that's 
S N O Y S T R O N G dot C A. This is a cause that means a lot to me. Chris means a lot to me. He's he's a good friend. He's a close friend. He's one of the better people I know. Period. And if you would be kind enough to consider donating, I would be very appreciative. And and please let me know if you do. And uh, you know you can mark it even down in whatever note that you leave on the donation. I've donated $25 already just during this as I'm saving my bigger donation for when I actually do the trick shot, trick shot. But we've been giving money for ALS research here for the past few months in Chris's name. And I'm hoping that you would maybe find it in your heart to do that as well. They have a goal of $500,000 to raise. They're at over $117,000 at the moment. Like I said, you go on the snowystrong.ca page and you can donate as well. I know you're saying probably, wow, there's a lot of ads at the top of this. We're going to get some Lions stuff. We're going to do the all-decade team for the Detroit Lions. You might have heard some of the podcasts last week where I talk about my player of the decade, which is Calvin Johnson. You probably saw I was one of the four voters for the ESPN.com NFC North team of the decade, which had Darius Slay and Glover Quinn and Sam Martin. And Dalmican Sue, Calvin Johnson, all on that team, all very well deserved. But I thought of that and I decided to also do an Lions specific team as I wanted to kind of see where that stood out. And I'll be honest with you, some of the positions were hard decisions and some of the positions you're sitting there and you're like, oh, wow, that position was really bad for the Lions throughout this decade and that kind of says a lot because when you look back at this decade for the lions as we get ready for the 2020 season that we all hope is going to come with training camp opening in july we all hope that it was an interesting decade remember they started this decade one of the worst teams in the nfl in the 2010 season and they ended one of the worst teams in the NFL after the 2019 season. But I think that there are different thought processes there as well because they were coming out of that 0-16 2008 season, still building their way up. And right now, the trajectory has not been as good going into the next decade. But we'll see what happens with what 2020 brings. The Lions had no divisional titles, as we all know, this decade, but three playoff appearances and... They went through three coaches in Jim Schwartz, Jim Caldwell, and Matt Patricia, who's now entering his third season. Two GMs in Martin Mayhew and Bob Quinn, and a few generational talents as well. Matthew Stafford, quarterback for basically the entire decade and a generational talent. Calvin Johnson, one of the best receivers of all time, and somebody whose Hall of Fame candidacy will be coming up early next year. And Indomitian Sue, who... One of the better defensive linemen of the 2010s. So there was talent on this team. And even though maybe it wasn't some generational talent below that, you've got guys like Darius Slay, who's one of the best corners in the league. Glover Quinn was one of the better safeties in the league for a stretch. And then you've got guys like Ziggy Ansah, who had immense talent for his a lot of his time in Detroit. DeAndre Levy had some talent there. We're going to get to all of that during the unveiling of the Michael Rothstein Show All-Decade Team for the Detroit Lions, which is coming up right after this break. 
There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more than that, you have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day. Every day, it's live on their website. If you're looking for something other than sports, Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. They have some live dealers on there as well, and also some online, more animated stuff too. Definitely go check them out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. And now, Back to our show. So, as I mentioned before the break, we are doing the Detroit Lions All-Decade Team today on the podcast, and we're going to start in a no-brainer spot. That is quarterback. There's really only one answer to go with here. That's obviously Sean Hill. Kidding. Sean Hill, Dan Orlowski, both were very, very good, competent backups for the Lions. They gave Matthew Stafford a lot of knowledge. They helped prepare him for Sunday. But the obvious name here is Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford, in the 2010s, threw for 38,758 yards. That's good for fifth in the decade. 243 touchdowns. That's good for sixth in the decade. He's also thrown 118 interceptions. He's been one of the more clutch performers, continually leading the Lions to fourth quarter comeback wins, most notably during the 2014 and 2016 seasons, both of which ended in the playoffs. He was on his way to maybe the best season of his career, and his numbers, frankly, would have been even better had he not had a back injury that cost him the second half of the 2019 season when, frankly, he might have made his second Pro Bowl, could have maybe been in the MVP discussion. He had a 5,000-yard season in there in 2011. Again, Matthew Stafford, a complete no-brainer here. No one else to even consider. Matthew Stafford, all day, the Lions quarterback of the decade. Now we're going to go over to running back where – It got to be a little bit tricky, but when you actually look at the numbers of it, it was fairly clear cut. And in that, it might surprise you. Joyke Bell, at least, we're going with one running back here, three wide receivers, and just on defense, we're going to go with a 4-3 set. But we went with Joyke Bell as the Lions running back of the decade. He had 723 touches overall, which was the most of any running back. He had 23 touchdowns. He had 2,235 rushing yards. He had 3,873 yards from scrimmage. He was somebody that they could count on to run up the middle. He can be a goal line back if they needed. He could catch passes out of the backfield. He only led the Lions in rushing once, and that was in... The 2014 season, which was arguably the best team they had throughout the entire decade. No, he didn't have a 1,000-yard season like Reggie Bush did, but he was consistent when he had the ball for the Lions throughout the majority of his really kind of three-year stint when he was a very valuable back for Detroit. And when I say three years, I look at the 2013 season, the 2014 season, and I kind of... 
I, I kind of look at the 2012 seasons and the 2015 seasons a little bit interestingly because he was not the primary ball carrier in either one of those years. If you put them together, though, that ended up being a pretty solid third season, would have ended up having between those two seasons 725 yards and seven touchdowns, which would have put him right between the 2013 and 2014 seasons for him running the ball. He did have pretty good receiving numbers in both of those years as well, particularly in 2012 when he had 52 catches for 485 yards. Yeah, like I said, he didn't have a 1,000-yard season like Reggie Bush did. He didn't set some running back receiving records like Theo Riddick did. But at the end of the day, I went with Joyke Bell over Theo Riddick and Reggie Bush. And listen, I can understand why you can make a case for either one of those players. Theo Riddick, was dynamic as a pass catcher. You look at some of his numbers. He had 680 catches in 2015 for 697 yards. He became a more capable rusher as his career went on with the Lions, but he was never really a true dynamic rusher. And then Reggie Bush, his time with Detroit was short. It was only a couple of seasons in length, but he had the only 1,000-yard season this decade for Detroit, And that was obviously in 2013 when he had 1,006 yards. Those were the other two players I considered. You might say, well, what about Kerryon Johnson? Well, Kerryon Johnson's shown flashes, but he hasn't had the consistency or the time on the roster that really put him in that conversation for me. And when you look beyond that, I mean, Amir Abdullah definitely was not there, even though he led the Lions in rushing twice. Mikella Short, no. Javid Best, again, a guy that maybe would get some consideration, but I, I just couldn't pull that trigger. To me, it was Joyke Bell as the main running back. Looking at wide receiver now, and again, we went with three receivers here, playing to the Lions' strengths, playing to how they have played throughout the majority of their decade, which is in a single back set. The first one, easy. No-brainer. Calvin Johnson, 538 catches. 8,548 yards, 62 total touchdowns in the 2010s. And remember, he only really did that in half of the decade because he retired after the 2015 season. Of course, he's that 2012 season when he set the NFL record for receiving yards with 1,964. He also led the NFL with 122 catches that year. He's potentially going into Canton as early as next year in his first year of eligibility. He, to me, is a surefire Hall of Famer. You'll look at the numbers, six Pro Bowls, three times first-team All-Pro. He led the NFL in receiving twice, led the NFL in receiving touchdowns once. Just dynamic, awesome player, was the best in the game for a while. After that is where it gets tricky because to me, there's three candidates for two spots and frankly, a a fringe guy that you consider as a potential fourth candidate. So the second receiver for me on this team is Golden Tate. His numbers bear that out. 4,880 yards from scrimmage. Of those 4,741 of them were receiving yards. He had 416 catches. He had 22 total touchdowns. He made a Pro Bowl After the 2014 season, he was a guy that 
was dynamic with the ball in his hands. He was a safety blanket for Matthew Stafford. He twice led the Lions in receiving yards. And during his time with the Lions, he went over 1,000 yards. I'm not counting the 2018 season when he was traded midway through the year and was on pace for a 1,000-yard season. But in three of his four years with the Lions, he went over 1,000 yards receiving. He had over 90 catches in all four of his years with the Lions. Easy choice for him to be the number two receiver on the Lions in the 2010s. So then there's a third receiver spot, and it's frankly a battle between the two receivers that are the Lions' main two receivers now, and that is Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. I'm going to lay their stats out for you. Marvin Jones has 213 catches with the Lions for 3,318 yards, 27 touchdowns, and 14.07 air yards per target. He's only led the Lions in receiving one season, though. That was in 2017 when he had the best year of his career, the only time he's topped 1,000 yards receiving, and that was with 1,101 yards receiving, nine touchdowns that year. Twice he's had nine touchdowns. He's had four, he had a four-touchdown game last year for Detroit and is one of the only handful of receivers in NFL history to have two four-touchdown games, although the first one for him came when he was with Cincinnati. That is Marvin Jones. Then there's Kenny Galladay. Twice, including the last two seasons, Kenny Galladay has led the Lions in receiving. In his three years in Detroit, he has 163 catches for 2,730 yards and 19 touchdowns, including an NFL best 11 touchdowns last year. He's caught 10.3. 10.3. His average yards per target is 10.3. His average yards per, per reception is 18.3. So it's a really tough call here. Really, really tough call. But I went with Marvin Jones. And, and here's why. Marvin Jones, when he's been healthy, I think has been a very consistent receiver for the Lions. He's done it a little bit longer than Kenny Galladay. And to me, that's what gave him the edge over Galladay. Now, Kenny will be, as long as he stays healthy and as long as he gets his contract extension, 10 years from now, Kenny Galladay is going to be on the team of the 2010s. And this was probably the hardest decision I had to make was between Jones and Galladay. But I went with Marvin Jones over Kenny Galladay. Feels like Kenny Galladay is still in a uh, kind of an ascending player where Marvin Jones has been in his prime, still playing well. And has made a ton of big catches for the Lions throughout his career. Again, also did it in a transition period for the Lions when they were transitioning from the Calvin Johnson era now really to the Kenny Galladay era. Golden Tate, Marvin Jones were the two guys in that. And Jones is also partially responsible for a helping mentor Kenny Galladay. So all of those things really pushed Marvin Jones just in the slightest, slightest bit ahead of Kenny Galladay for me for the receiver of the 2010s. The fourth receiver I considered for those two spots other than Calvin Johnson was Nate Burleson, but obviously Nate was with the Lions toward the tail end of his career. He was the vocal mouthpiece for the quieter Calvin Johnson. Obviously Nate having a great second career now with Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. You see him on CBS as well. He's also on Extra. He's going to be a star. He might be, if you look at the second career Lions, he might be a first team, all all Detroit Lions for 
what he's been doing in his second career, but didn't quite make it for me when it came to wide receiver. Looking at tight end, this was a lean, 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 lean position. Lean. And I ended up going, there were only two guys that I felt you could really, really consider in this role because no one else really had any staying power. Tony Scheffler wasn't around long enough. Jesse James wasn't around long enough. TJ Hawkinson only had one year so far. Again, like Kenny Galladay, if he pans out, he'll end up being on the team of the 2020s almost definitely. But to me, this was a two-player conversation. Eric Ebron and Brandon Pettigrew, they were the two starting tight ends throughout the most of the 2010s. And even though Brandon Pettigrew had better numbers across the board, I went with Eric Ebron. And the reason for that is Eric Ebron did his in fewer games. Both played a decent amount of seasons with the Lions, so it's... I understand, you know, you'll look at the Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay argument that I just made before and said, well, why'd you go with longevity there where you didn't necessarily go with it here? And to me, it's because I thought Eric Ebron gave more to Detroit and he was also put in a tougher position where I think that if Eric Ebron hadn't been taken with the number 10 pick in the 2014 draft, he had been picked maybe a little bit later people wouldn't necessarily look at him quite as harshly as they did. Here were their numbers. I'll break that down for you. Brandon Pettigrew had 271 catches for 2,619 yards and 15 touchdowns. Eric Ebron had 186 catches for 2,070 yards and 11 touchdowns. You might say, well, listen, Pettigrew had better numbers across the board, but then you look at it and Brandon Pettigrew did it in 26 more games than Eric Ebron and you figure if Eric Ebron had been on the Detroit Lions in the 2018 season when frankly he had the best year of his career in Indianapolis with 13 touchdowns 750 yards receiving he made the Pro Bowl yeah obviously that happened in Indianapolis and not Detroit now Eric Ebron's on the move again in Pittsburgh but to me Eric Ebron I think showed that he was getting better. And you saw that toward the end of his time with the Lions. He was improving. He, to me, made more of a difference overall than Brandon Pettigrew did. So I went with Eric Ebron over Brandon Pettigrew. Again, another very, very difficult, close decision. But, uh, you know, there were only two real options when it came to that. Moving into the offensive line, obviously not a ton of stats to look at here, but... Offensive tackle, to me, was pretty self-explanatory. Taylor Decker, Riley Reef, those were your two offensive tackles. Decker's been the left tackle for the last half decade for Detroit. Riley Reef was the left tackle for a decent amount of years with the Lions. And to me, those two made the most sense. I did consider Jeff Backus as well, but Riley Reef. Taylor Decker, they were their two best offensive tackles the Lions had. You might say, well, that's not all that great. But Decker, I think, is an above-average NFL offensive tackle. We'll see if he ends up getting a contract extension this offseason. Riley Reef, frankly, if he had been okay with right tackle money instead of left tackle money and didn't want to go play left tackle, which he ended up doing again in Minnesota, he might still be on the Lions as a right tackle. He's not a bad player, just... Again, both those guys are first-round picks, and you thought maybe you'd get a little more out of him. But those were the two offensive tackles. Offensive guard was where I thought it was a lot trickier. 
Uh, Rob Sims, to me, made a ton of sense on the offensive line. He played the most snaps of any Lions offensive lineman in this decade, especially at guard. And he was a very sturdy offensive lineman while he was with Detroit. He blocked for the only 1,000-yard rusher they had in Reggie Bush. And you look at Rob Sims, and he, to me, was absolutely going to get one of the two guard spots. He came to the Lions in 2010. He ended up playing five years in Detroit. And he started every game of those five years, so he was durable. He played well. He was an, uh, he was an anchor for an, uh, the offensive line, and he helped mentor kind of that next group of offensive linemen as well. The second guard spot is where it was tough, and this decision might end up being controversial. I went with TJ Lang, and, and here's why. Injuries absolutely limited TJ Lang in the last two years of his career. He only played 19 games for the Lions over two seasons. But he also made a Pro Bowl. And no other Lions offensive lineman made a Pro Bowl this decade. So can't really keep off a Pro Bowler even if he only played a couple of years. And that was the decider to me. When TJ Lang was on the field, he was a difference maker. He was a really good player. Frankly, he was a guy that maybe should have been on the ESPN NFC North all-decade team between his time in Green Bay and in Detroit. And you look at that and you say, okay, probably should be on the Lions all-decade team as well, even though he had the lo- the shortest stint of any player that we're talking about uh, for, on offense, defense, or special teams when it comes to this team. So who else was considered? Well, Graham Glasgow, to me, has been one of the more consistent linemen for the Lions throughout his career obviously he's in Denver he just got paid he's not flashy he's not a huge name but you know what you're getting from him I think he was their best line lineman not last season but the couple seasons before that if TJ Lang hadn't made the Pro Bowl Graham Glasgow is probably the second offensive guard on this team but it was a tough call for me and Listen, TJ Lang might even say that Graham Glasgow deserves this. I I recognize that this is probably a little bit of a controversial decision, but Graham Glasgow can play guard, he can play center, and he's a guy that's going to do really well in Denver. was one of, frankly, Bob Quinn's best draft picks along with Kenny Galladay. And yeah, good, good player. Larry Warford, the other guy in consideration here that to me just missed. And again, I think you can make the argument that maybe he deserves to be on there instead of TJ Lang as well. Larry Warford was incredible as a rookie in 2013, had four really good years in Detroit before he ended up moving on to New Orleans. Obviously, just got cut by the Saints this offseason. But good player, really good player. Again, if Lang doesn't make that Pro Bowl, I think maybe, just maybe, Larry Warford ends up on this team. And if Rob Sims isn't really the best guard they had in that first half of the decade, maybe it ends up being Glasgow and Warford. The Lions had good guards throughout the majority of this decade. They really did. Obviously, their guard situation now is completely in flux with possibly two rookies ending up in the starting lineup and Logan Stenberg and Jonah Jackson. He'll compete with Joe Dahl and Kenny Wiggins and Odea Boucher. But... For the 2010s, guard was a good, solid spot for Detroit. Center to me was really tough to the point where I'll admit it. I actually recorded the first version of this podcast with a different center on 
the Lions all-decade team. It's obviously down to two guys, Dominic Raiola and Frank Ragnow. Frank Ragnow, Detroit's best lineman last year, first-round pick in 2018, was great as a guard in 18, moved over to center last year, likely going to be a pro bowler at some point in his career, could even be coming up here in the 2020s, as we've talked about with a few other players, Kenny Galladay, TJ Hawkinson, that have just missed this team. Ragnow should, as long as things go well and he stays healthy, should be the center of the for the Lions decade team of the 2020s. He is that good. And like I said, I was really, really close to putting him on the all-decade team here to the point where I actually recorded a version where he was on the all-decade team. But in this case, longevity mattered, consistency mattered, and because of that, I went with Dominic Raiola as the center on the Lions' all-decade team. Raiola played every game but one in the Lions' 2010 through 2014 seasons. His career ended after 2014. He was suspended for one game for, as it was put, repeated violations of player safety rules. And that was for the final game of the 2014 season against the Chicago, or sorry, against the Green Bay Packers. He had committed the violation against the Bears. And then the Lions went into Green Bay with a shot to win their first division title in a long time to win in Green Bay for the first time in decades, and they didn't have their center. Dominic Raiola was valuable for Detroit. He was magnificent during the first part of Matthew Stafford's career, helped Matthew Stafford become comfortable. He could, He's seen everything at that point. He could be a sounding board for Matthew Stafford, and that plays into it. Frank Ragnow very well could be a better player throughout the course of his career than Dominic Raiola, but to me, Dominic Raiola deserved to be on the All-Decade team for the 2010s. He ended up being the center for the only 1,000-yard rusher the Lions had, as we talked about with Rob Sims, in Reggie Bush. And I look at it overall, and to me, Dominic Raiola, the longevity, the consistency, how he helped Matthew Stafford. Frankly, and Travis Swanson talked about it on the podcast when he was on, I believe it was last month or two months ago, how much Dominic Raiola helped him when he was drafted and was clearly going to be Dominic Raiola's replacement. So yeah, to me, it's Dominic Raiola over Frank Ragnow for center on this team. Flipping over to defense now, and at defensive end, this was to me kind of a layup a little bit. And the first one obviously is Ezekiel Ansah. 218 tackles in his Lions career, 48 sacks, 10 forced fumbles, 51 disrupted dropbacks. And yeah, he was honestly fantastic while he when he was healthy with the Lions. And the big thing with him, as we all know, as it has been for a lot of players we've talked about, was he just really struggled staying healthy. And when he was healthy, he was dynamic. Twice he went over Double-digit sacks. He obviously made a Pro Bowl in 2015 when he had 14 and a half sacks. And if he had stayed healthy, he'd still be on the Lions. He, they would have paid him mega money. And if they could have get, counted on him from a consistency standpoint, he was that good. And that that was a no-brainer to me when you look at this team throughout the 2010s. The second spot, 
was a little bit trickier, but Cliff Averill, to me, made a bunch of sense. He had 103 tackles during his time with the Lions, 29 sacks, 9 forced fumbles. Was a big part of that defense in 2011. Really kind of anchored a big part of the defense as they were building it after kind of the 2008 season. They really kind of relied on him. Obviously, he was a rookie in 2008, but you look at his last three seasons in Detroit, which was what would have been considered here, and he had an 11-sack season in 2011. He forced six fumbles that year as well. Just a really good player overall. Then he obviously went to Seattle, had some real productive years, even made a Pro Bowl with the Seahawks in 2016, but we didn't consider that when we were looking at this. So went with Cliff Averill there over Kyle Vandenbosch. And when you look at the other guys who were considered, Kyle Vandenbosch probably had the closest argument of these other players that were in this conversation. And that's because when you look at Kyle Vandenbosch's stats... They, they were pretty good. I mean, he obviously played with the Lions toward the tail end of his career. Same situation, three years, was gone before the 2013 season, but he never had a double-digit sack season. The best he had was eight sacks in to that 2011 year. He had four forced fumbles that year. Over, he was a great player in Tennessee. He was a three-time Pro Bowler with the Titans, was an anchor, and really helped build that culture that Jim Schwartz wanted in Detroit. But Cliff Averill was just a little bit better on the field and was ascending at that point rather than Vandenbosch, who was kind of towards the tail end of his career. I also looked at Devin Taylor and Lawrence Jackson, but neither one of them really came. They were more in that second tier of guys after Ansa and Averill and then Vandenbosch. Defensive tackle, Indomitian Sue, no-brainer. We talked about him a little bit at the top of the podcast. 238 tackles, 36 sacks, 13 batted passes. All pro while he was with the Lions. Pro bowler while he was with the Lions. The Lions offered him a massive contract to stay, but he took the money in Miami. And frankly, he hasn't been quite as good since. He was awesome for Gunther Cunningham and Jim Schwartz's wide nine, four three defense. Twice an all pro, four times a pro bowler with the Lions. And he had 10 sacks as a rookie in 2010. He obviously also got in his fair share of trouble with Detroit on the field, getting suspended a couple of times, consistently having to answer questions about his antics with Detroit. But he set the tone for that Lions defense. They fed off of his attitude. And don't think that that didn't make a difference. And if you've listened to some of the other guys from that 2013, 2014, 2012 teams, on that defensive line, and we've had a few on here from Daryl Tapp to Andre Fluellen to Lawrence Jackson. You hear how they talk about Sue as a teammate. Sue may have had one reputation outside of it, but he was a good teammate for these guys, and they relied on him, and he was the engine that made that entire defense run, one of the best defenses in the NFL in the 2010s during that 2014 season, one of the best run defenses ever, and, and Indomitian Sue was a big part of that. The guy lining up next to Sue in that for the majority of that 2014 season and the guy taken in the first round of the year after Sue is the other defensive tackle that I picked for this all-decade team. It was a close consideration with a couple of other guys, but we'll talk a little bit about Nick Fairley first. Nick Fairley had 98 tackles, 13 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries during his Lions career. Listen, his career with the Lions, as we all know, was a lot about what could have been 
because he just couldn't stay healthy. He struggled with motivation. He struggled with his weight. But when Nick Fairley was on, the combination of him and Sue together was could have been dominant. And had they kept been able to keep Sue and Fairley, that defensive line would have – I mean, honestly, Martin Mayhew and Jim Caldwell may still be here with the Lions had they been able to keep those guys together. But Nick Fairley, to me, gets the nod a little bit over – Two other guys. One is will not surprise you. That's Haloti Nada. He was the guy the Lions traded for after they lost Sue in free agency. Nada had 53 tackles, six sacks, six batted passes during his time in Detroit. Really struggled with injuries a lot while he was with the Lions, but he was still one of the better run stoppers in the NFL. And to me, that was good enough to at least merit consideration. He was the best defensive interior defensive lineman the Lions had for three seasons. And yeah, I mean, that that was good enough to at least merit consideration, but not good enough to overtake Nick Fairley. The other guy I looked at, I, I will admit I briefly looked at Snacks Harrison, but he didn't have a good 2019 season. He was only here for two, half of 2018, so that was quickly washed away. But Sean Robinson... When you listen to his stats, and especially in comparison to Fairley, it was worth consideration, honestly. He had 172 tackles, five sacks, three forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, 13 batted passes. He was better against the run than the pass. He was the guy taken to really replace Nick Fairley. Numbers-wise, he was better than Fairley in some areas, particularly in tackles. But... Just when I remember the two guys, right? And I covered more the tail end of Fairley's time with the Lions. And I covered all of Sean Robinson's time with the Lions. He's now with the Rams. I felt like even in those two seasons that I covered Fairley in 13 and 14, he was still more of a dominant player than Sean Robinson ever was. So this to me was a call from like looking at their two careers and kind of covering the majority of both of them that I just went with fairly over a Sean Robinson, but it was close. I, you know, wasn't quite recording where a version where a Sean Robinson was one of the defensive tackles, but you know, maybe he got a little bit of a bad rap while he was with the lions. Maybe he was a little better than, than we realized, but on, on some not so great overall defenses in Detroit, but he put up, Better numbers than one would think. Either that or maybe just beyond Indomitian Sue, their defensive tackles just weren't that good. Looking now at linebacker, DeAndre Levy, kind of a no-brainer to me. Led all linebackers in tackles in the 2010s with 558. Led all linebackers in interceptions in the 2010s with 11. He had nine pass breakups. Frankly, had injuries not completely decimated his career he might have made a Pro Bowl or two, even though it was really tough as a 4-3 linebacker who didn't get a ton of sacks to make the Pro Bowler, but he was fantastic in coverage. He was maybe a very unsung, even though he was very well-known, he was kind of an unsung leader on that 2014 defense. Obviously, he was well-known for his beard. Now he's in retirement, but... He was, frankly, one of the best linebackers the Lions had this decade and was probably one of the better 4-3 linebackers over the middle of that 2000s period. Again, injuries just kind of really shortchanged what would have potentially been a really dynamic career 
for DeAndre Levy, but to me, a no-brainer there when it comes to Levy, especially as a guy who could pick off passes and in coverage, which the Lions have struggled with against tight ends and running backs for so much of the 2010s. DeAndre Levy was the one guy who could do that. The guy who Levy played next to for the majority of his career was Stephen Tulloch. And Stephen Tulloch is the second linebacker on this team. He had a 485 tackles. He had 10 sacks. He had 11 pass breakups. Give me him in the middle over other linebackers the Lions have had. And that's the guy, to me, he would be the defensive. Ca- he would be one of two defensive captains, along with a guy who's probably a no-brainer in safety. I don't think this is giving much away in Glover Quinn. But Stephen Tulloch, again, was a guy that probably the Lions could have gotten another year or two out of maybe had he not shredded his ACL celebrating an Aaron Rodgers sack. Tulloch was never really the same after that season, and that obviously happened in the 2014 season, which is when DeAndre Levy really, really took that next step forward. But he came back in 2015. He had 107 tackles, but the Lions had to take him off the field. He was he had lost a step at that point, and it just wasn't going quite as well. But from 2011 to 2013, Deion, uh, sorry, Stephen Tulloch was a consistent guy in the middle for Detroit. He had over 100 tackles every year. He was a guy they could rely on against the run. He was very, very strong against the run. And again... You know, he was he was a leader, and they really, really needed that. So, to me, that was why I went with Stephen Tulloch there. The third linebacker is, frankly, that third linebacker on that 2014 defense, and that was Tyre Whitehead. Whitehead slid into the middle once Tulloch got hurt. In his Lions career, he had 366 tackles, three sacks, 12 pass breakups, five fumble recoveries. He's kind of a guy who could play every linebacker position, moved all over the place, a little bit and again just a guy that you know he as a third linebacker that's exactly what you wanted to see he signed a couple of contract extensions with Detroit he worked himself up from being a special teams player primarily to being a starter and then obviously he went to Oakland where he was a starter the last two years but you look at his time in Detroit he played six years with the Lions he had played in 93 games he started 54 of them And yeah, I mean, listen, he didn't have big sack numbers, but that's not what he was asked to do. He was kind of more of a coverage linebacker, kind of more of a middle linebacker. He had in his last two years in Detroit when he was really the true middle linebacker. He had over 100 tackles in each one of those seasons. He had 86 tackles in 2014 when he replaced Tulloch and would have probably been over 100 as well had he played there full time. So he also had five interceptions or sorry, four interceptions with the Lions. So that's not bad. Uh, you know, obviously not DeAndre Levy-esque, but not bad. So who else do we consider at linebacker? I thought heavily about Devon Kennard. He has more, he, even though he was only with the Lions for a couple seasons, he had the linebacker best 14 sacks during that time. And I considered the Lions' current middle linebacker, Jared Davis. He's had 10 sacks in his career, five forced fumbles. To me, Levy was obvious, and then it was a matter of would I go Whitehead over Kennard or would I go Tulloch over Davis? And I went with the kind of the guys who went in the middle of the decade versus the end of the decade, because you look at that defense overall that they built and that defense was better. I think overall, I think part of that was linebackers and 
to me, both of those guys, Intellic and Whitehead, had more flashes of brilliance than Kennard or Davis did, although Kennard was really, really close. And I really considered Kennard over Whitehead, but ended up going with Tair, in part because of longevity, in part because he could play multiple linebacker positions. And some of what Devon Kennard does is he's mostly a guy who's just going to be an edge rusher and get off the ball a little bit where that's not what Tulloch or Whitehead was really asked to do. So it's tough to compare when it comes to sacks overall. Going to cornerback, listen, Darius Slay is a no-brainer, 342 tackles, 19 interceptions, a forced fumble, two fumble recoveries, 72 pass breakups, three Pro Bowl appearances, and the best cornerback the Lions have had probably since Dre Bly. And maybe even better than Dre Bly. He's been a top 10 cornerback in the NFL the last half a decade. He's been a leader on the Lions defense. He's been the best player on Detroit's defense the last few years. Yeah. I mean, obviously got traded to Philadelphia back in March. But Darius Slay, no brainer here. You could maybe argue. I mean, you wouldn't argue that he would be on like the starting lineup of an all 2010s team in the NFC. Because you got guys like Richard Richard Sherman there. But you could argue it'd be on a 53-man roster of the best players, best cornerback. You know, when you look at an entire roster, he'd maybe be a fourth or fifth cornerback in the NFC in the 2010s. And that's clearly going to be good enough to make the all-decade team for the Detroit Lions. Darius Slay was a difference maker. Carried a lot of swagger while he played. Obviously, he had the finger wag a little bit. Has a nickname, Big Play Slay. Was very well adored in the community as well. On the field, off the field, no-brainer for Darius Slay. The second cornerback spot, Chris Houston. So basically, your corners all wore number 23. Chris Houston was number 23 before Darius Slay. Houston had 208 tackles, 10 interceptions, 3 forced fumbles, 27 passes, defended. And frankly, when you look at Chris Houston's career, they could have had a really dynamic group of cornerbacks had Chris Houston not gotten injured. And when Chris Houston got hurt, I mean, the Lions obviously released him due to injury in 2014, and he was never really the same with that toe injury in 2013. He had to have surgery on it after the 2013 season. Jim Schwartz was fired. Jim Caldwell comes in. Houston, I remember this because this really stood out to me. Houston Houston was basically excused from off-season workouts before 2014 in the spring. And Jim Caldwell said Chris Houston was where he needed to be. And then the Lions released Chris Houston right after minicamp ended in 2014. But Chris Houston was a good player for the Lions when he was with Detroit. He was a difference maker. He was their top cornerback for a bit. And, I mean, listen, when he left the Lions – you didn't know that Darius Slay was going to become Darius Slay. Darius Slay just come off his rookie year. At that point, you look at Chris Houston's numbers. I mean, he had played 55 games in Detroit. He had started 54 of them. He had five picks in 2011. He scored, returned two of them for touchdowns. He had really nine picks in his last three years with Detroit. And at age 29, they, he could have played maybe for a couple of more years. Uh, but who knows how quickly Darius Slay would have gotten on the field. He probably still would have gotten on the field kind of toward the end of that 2013 season. Definitely by 2014 anyway. But 
it could have been a slower development for Darius Slay had Chris Houston not gotten injured. But Chris Houston ends up on, for the first four years of that decade, gets on to the all-decade team. The other guy I considered there, Rasheen Mathis. Two interceptions, 21 passes defended. Rasheen Mathis, to me, if he had made this team, it would have been more as an influential role. He influenced an entire generation of Detroit Lions cornerbacks and safeties, along with Glover Quinn. He was a guy who Darius Slay looked up to immensely, who Darius Slay credits as a big reason for kind of his ascension to being one of the top cornerbacks in the league. Rasheem Mathis was a quality starter for Detroit, too, especially kind of, again, a guy who signed in training camp during the 2013 season when they kind of knew they needed somebody else to help help things go along. He ended up playing three seasons in Detroit before getting a concussion that really was that was it for him in 2015. He got a concussion. He never came back after that and retired after the season. But yeah, listen, he had a he had a good three years with the Lions and was somebody that I considered. Obviously, was better known for his time with the Jaguars, but was an influential player for Detroit because of who he influenced more maybe than anything he did on the field. Now at safety again. Glover Quinn, the obvious choice here. He'd be the defensive captain to me, along with Stephen Tulloch. 423 tackles for Glover Quinn, 19 interceptions, 7 forced fumbles, 2 fumble recoveries, 17 passes defended, 19 pass breakups. Team leader, defensive leader, mentor to Darius Slay and Quandre Diggs and Nevin Lawson. Worked well with Rasheen Mathis to build a culture in that secondary that lasted for the second half of the Lions' decade. Pro bowler, led the NFL in interceptions one year, good player, consistent player, Ironman at the safety position uh, until he retired after the 2018 season. And yeah, just a great player. There's really nothing else to say there. For the second safety spot, I ended up going with Quandre Diggs. It was a tough decision, frankly, but you look at Diggs' production, when he moved from corner to safety. And yeah, he was dynamic. He made a difference. And really for two and a half seasons was a valued member of the secondary at safety. Was ascending as well. He's still young at that point. He was 24, 25, and 26 when he was a safety with the Lions. He was a Pro Bowl alternate at one point. And you look at his career, and, I mean, he's going to make a difference in Seattle. The Lions had signed him to a contract extension at one point um, in 2018 before trading him midway through last season. And you look at his career, 229 tackles, three forced fumbles, six interceptions, 15 pass breakups. Sure, some of that came as a slot corner, but the majority of his impact plays came when he was a safety, and he took to it almost immediately, and he always knew he was going to end up doing it. He had... Listen to Glover Quinn about it. Listen to Rasheen Mathis about it and really took advantage of it there. So who else do we consider at safety? We looked at Tavon Wilson, who kind of had an underrated time with the Lions. It doesn't look like he's going to be back in Detroit. He's still a free agent right now, but he had three interceptions, 266 tackles during his time with Detroit, mostly playing as a run stopper. James Ahedabo, 
who was Glover Quinn's running mate for a little while. He had 133 tackles, six forced fumbles, three sacks, five interceptions during his time in Detroit. And then lastly, there was Lewis Delmas, who was a really hard hitter, but very, very reckless with how he played. He had four interceptions, 12 pass breakups. All those guys got consideration, but to me, Diggs was just a step above all of those players at the end of the day when it came to what he was able to produce on the field for Detroit. Then when you look at special teams, and we'll wrap up with this, kicker, no-brainer. It's Matt Prater. He has been, since he's come to Detroit, one of the most consistent kickers in the NFL. Jason Hansen obviously would have gotten consideration here, except Jason Hansen wasn't around long enough. He was only here for three years of the decade, and it was the last three years of his career. Sure, Hansen was really good in those three years, making 85.7, and 88.9% of his field goals. But Matt Prater's Made the Pro Bowl, he's been a consistent kicker, and there's no reason not to go with Matt Prater as the team's kicker. Again, he made the Pro Bowl in 2016, he's made over 85% of his field goals for Detroit every year, but last year when he had 83.9% field goal percentage, just a good player. Punter, Sam Martin was the All-NFC North punter. He was my vote for that team. Punt, same thing here. Punter for the majority of the decade. Makes total sense. No-brainer. Long snapper, Dom Mulebach. Don't really have to say anything else. He's been the long snapper for the team the entire decade. Lastly, at returner, ended up going with Jamal Agnew. He got an all-pro nod as a rookie. Has three punt return touchdowns in his career. Has a kick return touchdown. Can be dynamic with the ball on his hands. Obviously, we all know. We'll see what happens whether he makes the Lions here in 2020, but with what he's done in the second half of the 2010s for the Lions since his rookie year, he deserves this spot as a returner. I did look at Stefan Logan. I looked at Andre Roberts. I looked at Jeremy Ross, all of whom had flashes of really, really good return play. But Jamal Agnew, to me, did it for the most consistent period of time for Detroit over the 2010s. So that's why we went with him. So that is the all-decade team for the Lions. Appreciate y'all listening in. We'll run through it one more time by position. Quarterback Matthew Stafford. Running back Joyke Bell. Wide receivers Calvin Johnson, Golden Tate, and Marvin Jones. Tight end Eric Ebron. Offensive tackles Taylor Decker and Riley Reef. Offensive guards Rob Sims and TJ Lang. Center Dominic Riola. Defensive ends Ziggy Ansa and Cliff Averill. Defensive tackles and Dominican Sue and Nick Fairley. Linebackers. DeAndre Levy, Stephen Tulloch, and Tyre Whitehead. Cornerbacks, Darius Slay and Chris Houston. Safeties, Glover Quinn and Quandre Diggs. Kicker, Matt Prater. Punter, Sam Martin. Long snapper, Dom Mulebach. And returner, Jamal Agnew. Thanks, as always, to Blue Wire, to Regents Field, and to Bet Online for sponsoring and helping out and pro- producing this episode. Thanks to my producer, David Woodley. Wish him a happy first Father's Day as well. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Want to hear what you think about this all-decade team as well. Be curious to hear your thoughts, where you think I got it right, where you think I got it wrong. Leave those in the comments on Facebook and on Twitter after I post it and on Instagram as well. Let's have a conversation about it. Also, if you can, don't forget to donate, if you'd be so kind, to snowystrong.ca to help fight ALS. And also, if you look in the description of this episode, you'll see an audience survey for Blue Wire. If you'd be so kind to fill that out, help us know more about the listeners that we have. And with that, we will chat with you again on Thursday.